Welcome to the second episode of the Build Your People podcast with Kathy Hum. I am your co-host, Jen Sproul, and I am also the president of the Maryland Center for Construction Education and Innovation, MCCI. At MCCI, our mission is to inspire, educate, and connect a diverse population to careers in the built environment. With me today is our podcast co-host, Kathy Hum, HR professional and founder of NTP HR LLC, who focuses 100% on the construction industry. Today, we are going to be talking recruitment, one of the most important topics that any construction business owner has to deal with. This episode is brought to you today by the Electrical Alliance. The Electrical Training Alliance was created over 70 years ago as a joint training program between the National Electrical Contractors Association and the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, aimed at training the best electrical workers the industry has to offer. Today, the Electrical Training Alliance has developed into the largest apprenticeship and training program of its kind, having trained over 350,000 apprentices to journeyman status through local affiliate programs. It sets the standard for efficiency and productivity within the electrical industry. The Electrical Alliance contractors deliver a better trained and better supervised workforce comprised of electricians who receive intensive classroom and on-the-job training. For more information, visit electricalalliance.org. Hi, Kathy. How are you doing today? Hi, Jen. Good. Good. Thanks for having Uh, me. Yeah, of course. So today we're going to be talking about recruitment. We all know the workforce shortage the construction industry is facing. In order to meet demand, contractors will need to hire an estimated 546,000 workers in 2023. uh, And that's in addition to the industry's normal pace of hiring, according to a February 2023 report by the Associated Builders and Contractors. In fact, uh, by 2030, over 50% of our current workforce will have retired. And for every four or five workers retiring, we only have one coming in to take their place. So, uh, you know, recruitment of new employees is the number one issue that every construction business owner out there is talking about. And not only are we competing against each other for top talent, we are competing against other industries, ones that have remote work options, less travel, easier hours. So it's really tough out there. Um, And as we talked about last episode, not many business owners are being strategic in their approach to recruiting, but they're simply being reactionary. So Kathy, let's dive in to your thoughts on how employers can assess their needs, specifically their gap in skills. Sure. So um, you're so spot on that there's such a, a need in the workforce and Our traditional way of thinking, we need somebody who can build this way or do this type of task is really archaic. We need to be focusing on people who have the the, um, essential skills and business acumen to do what we do, and we can teach them the technical component. Um, Certainly, there are, um, you know, skilled uh, trades that there are some specifics that Mm -hmm. Obviously, they have to have, but really thinking outside of the box and understanding first, you know, is there a need for a position? And um, when you identify, let's say you have a couple of new projects and you identify, well, um, we're going to need X number of people in the field. And then what a lot of companies fail to look at is their back office and and as we grow, do we need to look at accounting, IT, marketing Um, human resources and understand, you know, do we have a skills gap there? 
and how do we uh, leverage what we have, meaning do we um, train up, do we mentor? And um, lastly, if, if the people we have don't have the skill sets or the bandwidth to do what we need them to do, then we look out and hire them. You know, so what's interesting is that, you know, here at MCCI, we um, talk to employers and business owners all the time about what are you looking for in your employees? Uh, specifically, like we're writing curriculum right now with um, the Maryland State Department of Education for architecture and construction management. So when we're building the curriculum, we are like, well, if you had the ideal candidate that came out of high school that had been trained um, in this um, and or college, right? Uh, what what do you want them to know? And they all, everyone says, we just need a person with passion and fire in their belly and we can teach them the rest. But what I'm hearing and what we know is that really they all just hire people with three to five years of experience. Um, that is, the, you know, they don't want someone green. They don't want to have to invest in training somebody. Um, and how do, how do we convince business owners that you should. One, you're paying more money uh, for somebody who's been trained somewhere else um, and not even trained the way in which you want to do work. So how how do you convince someone to, to go away from that, you know, slightly experienced person um, and invest? And what, what are the steps if a business owner really does want to do that? Like, what are the types of things that they should be asking? What are the the questions you should be asking in an interview um, to assess whether or not somebody that has no construction experience whatsoever actually has the aptitude to do it. Woo. Let me unpack that. <laughs> um, so uh, interesting you, you say, yes, people are still doing kind of traditional, we need somebody with three to five years experience for this role. What I'm encouraging my clients is when you post a position, take out the years of experience and just put the essential skills, um, just kind of an overview of what you're looking for. Because what happens is when you have the three to five years experience or they have to have a four-year degree in this specific field, mm -hmm. um, not even a general four-year degree, um, you're eliminating a lot of candidates from the pool. A lot, nine out of 10 candidates are, are typically screened out right. that could potentially be good candidates for what you're looking for in the position. This all starts with every organization needs to have a strategic plan, mission, vision, values. And when you have values and in, 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 in they describe your culture, then what you can do is you can write behavioral questions for each of those values. So if, um, you know, trustworthiness is one of your values, then, you know, write it, write behavioral questions that you can ask in an interview. Give me a time where you felt like um, the trust was diminished between you and a client. And, and, and what were your steps on how to handle that? And, you know, those kinds of things that, you really get to the heart of who that person is and will they fit into the culture? And then you can train them. You can train them up on, you know, whatever you need them to do, but having values 
And then having a bank of questions for each of those values. So when you go into an interview, it's not you're looking at their resume and, okay, so I see you went to a trade school um, and, you know, I see that you played lacrosse in high school. Tell me about that experience. They're they're okay questions, Mm -hmm. but if you tie your questions to your values and your culture, you're going to unravel some of these candidates that you really didn't see before you had your blinders on you're like man this person really has this this and this although they don't they're green but let's give it a whirl i mean that's why you have 90 days a a probationary period it's an opportunity it's really a 90-day interview it's an opportunity for you to interview a candidate and for them to see if it's a good fit for you it is kind of crazy too you think like um Asking somebody skill-based questions um, or assuming that they have a skill because they did a job, um, anybody can sell anything in an interview, right? There's no proof that the person can actually do what they said they could do. They can talk a good game. So you're right. I I mean, to to hire for, for who they are as a person, personality seems like a, a safer bet to me. Yeah. And there's so many, there's, you know, I think about being in the construction space for close to 10 years now, pre-construction, for example, estimators are really hard to find with the skill sets. Right. Well, in my experience, we've been successful with math teachers. Go figure. You know, when a math teacher wants to get out of that profession, try something new, they like numbers. Mm-hmm. They, they're they're probably exceptional with budgets and they've been in front of the classroom. So they know how to communicate with people so yeah. they could communicate with the client team, the design team makes perfect sense. What do you have to teach them? Blueprint reading. Yeah, no, Blueprint I reading. love the idea of um, career changers, people that have, um, you know, the maturity of being in the industry or an industry for a while. Um, and, and those like transferable skills is so such an amazing thing. You know, um, I, I think one of the worst things that we did as construction managers is sell the idea that a construction manager has to be an engineer. Um, one, we've narrowed the pool of can- available candidates. And, and when I say sell, we've sold it to the, the owners, the people that are building the buildings. So that when the University of Maryland, for example, wants to build a project, they want a resume of somebody that fits what construction managers told um, owners a construction manager Mm -hmm. has to be. Mm -hmm. So then now we are in a bind because it's very hard to build a team that has all the things that, you know, the perfect team. We know that we've kind of cut off our nose to spider's face when it comes to who we're hiring. Um, You know, some of the most, um, effective managers I've seen, like um, somebody I worked with before was an education major. He now is leading one of, you know, the most respected general contractors here in the Baltimore area. He does not have, um, and like, so just like you said, like, you don't have to be an engineer. You can take some blueprint reading classes um, at your local community college. You could Um, Mm -hmm. learn contracts at your local community college. They're they're amazing uh, resources. And I think the the great thing about a community college is 
if they don't currently offer what your people need to need need to know, they will actually help you create a curriculum around it too. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. I mean, there is a caveat to that. Um, You talk about the engineering degree and the, the structural component of building, right? You do need some people that are leading the charge that are builders and understand like the um, civil engineering kind Mm -hmm. of mechanical components that Mm -hmm. go into construction. Um, But there are quite a few people that are very capable of learning that, that may not, like you said, a career changer and, um, you know, are eager to learn, you know, have the acumen to be able to do the job. Absolutely. And I think what we've learned and what I know from my own experience is that a lot of times, I mean, when you're choosing what you're going to do for the rest of your life, when you are 16 years old, you only know the things that you have been exposed to, right? right. So a lot of people um, choose a, a career path based on a very limited knowledge of what the available opportunities are out there. It doesn't mean that they aren't capable of a different career later in life. Um, I know you personally have um, a, a teacher um, in your family who is who is now um, a, skilled, uh, yeah. a skilled professional. Um, and uh, Christina's done an amazing job and made an amazing um, name for herself in such a short amount of time in our industry. And I think that is the things that some of the things, the ways that we can overcome this recruiting problem we have um, in this industry. There's another, I'm just going to put a little plug in. I've been thinking about this a lot. There's an untapped pool of stay home moms. Mm. And I'm telling you, businesses are missing the boat because uh, mothers that stay home, you know, I'm working with one right now with one of my clients who entered the workforce after a number of years and doesn't have to work um, because her 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 um, husband is a is a pretty decent provider, but she wanted to get back in the workforce. And man, she is killing it as an HR representative for this company. So well-respected, there's transferable skills from staying home, but also there's mothers that have stayed, that, that worked for a number of years and then stayed, stayed home until say their kids reached kindergarten. And now they're, you know, they, they may lack the confidence of like, what do I do next? But that is a whole pool of candidates that we're missing the boat on. Absolutely. So um, I used to work for Barton Mallow and I know they, I don't know if it ever happened, but they were toying with the idea of what they called a re-internship. Same thing. They were specifically going to target um, mothers and other people that had left the, um, left the workforce for any reason out there as a, as a way to re-engage them and give them that opportunity. You're right. It is, it is daunting, um, I'm sure. I'd never left the workforce myself, mainly because I was worried about that, about how do I come back? Because I knew mm-hmm. I was I didn't want to be a stay-at-home mom forever. And it is a hard, a hard choice mm-hmm. uh, to do. But yeah, um, that that's uh, I think a really amazing untapped resource. Um, mothers we know are jugglers and um, multitaskers and everything like that. So not just mothers, obviously. All women. Right. But in general, you know, um, maybe there's fathers that have stayed home, but yeah. a large 
percentage of, of those that stay home to raise their kids have his, historically been the mother. Yeah. Um, so certainly whoever that is, that's, you know, raising the kids and they're re-entering the workforce. That's, that's a golden opportunity to, to tap that. into. Yeah. So when you're building your team um, and you are, you know, have embraced the idea of potentially hiring somebody either from a different industry or with an even right out of school, but with a different um, major or anything like that. What are some ways that you, um, like, what are the strengths like finders? Are there ways to figure out how somebody, what their strengths are? Um, any thoughts on that? Well, some companies do strength finder assessments okay. when, during the, the recruiting process, the interview process. You have to be really careful with those because um, one, there has to be buy-in from the company, the leadership team, and all of the interviewers, the mm -hmm. managers that are interviewing. But also, um, um, that they have to tie to your values. So kind of a funny story. One of my clients said to me that they were using this assessment tool to um, assess candidates. And the owner said to me when I first met him, he said, well, based on this assessment, I, I would have, I wouldn't have been hired to run this company. <laughs> so, so you do, you do have to be really careful and, and dig deep. Um, but they can be, they can be advantageous to understand what an individual's strengths are. Yeah. And I just said this morning at a client's office, you can't put into someone what you can't get out of them. Oh, yeah. So understanding their strengths. And for so long, we've been, you know, beat over the head. You know, we want to know your strengths, but we want to prove your weaknesses. Well, you know, if somebody is, you know, their their um, weakness is, I don't know, um, they're not a good communicator. Well, you know what? Maybe they shouldn't be doing business development. <laughs> you know, maybe they're in the wrong seat on the bus, but maybe they're really good with numbers. So trying to understand what the strengths are with an individual and asking them the question and making sure if you have a good talented individual, make sure they're in the right seat on the bus. I was just going to ask you, can you elaborate on that? Um, what do you mean by right seat on the bus? So um, um, I can give you an example of, of what I recently went through with, with, with a client where um, this individual's in project management and having conversations with the leadership team, it's, do you know, is he in the right seat on the bus? Does he want to do something differently? Clearly, you know, you like this individual and they're adding tremendous value to the company. Um, does he like numbers? Would he be better, you know, suited for pre-construction or is project management the path that he should be in? Or is there a back office position that maybe that would he would prefer? Um, so that's what I mean is there's, there's a lot of opportunity, particularly when a company's growing. Mm -hmm. Take your blinders off you know, don't pigeonhole somebody in one spot and that's where you see them as, ask them the question. How do you feel about your, your position? Is this, you know, does this align with what you envision for your career path? Are there other things that we're missing? 
you know, that, that you really enjoy doing that maybe you could benefit the company. But just asking those open-ended questions, it's amazing what you get from people. Absolutely. And they're so appreciative that you ask them. So we're, uh, we are growing and expanding here at MCCI and, and we're having the same conversations. And I think it's important to know that if even if somebody's trying out a new role, like if it doesn't work, but you still like them and they're still providing value, there's not, there's nothing saying that you can't reverse yeah. decisions. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, th there's no rules when it comes to, to this, um, you can make it up as, as a business owner, as a manager, you can make it up and realize, you know, it, that didn't work. Um, but let's try something else. Um, and mm -hmm. especially when you're growing. Uh, and so often business owners, because they need somebody for this position mm -hmm. and this person is the, is the only one we have. Well, be careful of that. Yeah. Because if you push somebody into a position that may not be what they envision their traject, you know, their career path is for the organist, you know, for their profession, you could potentially lose that person if you're not asking these questions. How, you know, how do you feel about your role? What are your wins? What are some missed opportunities? How can I support you? What are some resources that I can provide you? You know? Yeah, smart. So. All right. So say you have this open position, nobody that works for you currently can fill that. Um, what are some places that you think we should be looking besides just like going to a college recruiting fair um, or putting an ad in Indeed or whatever? What are some ways that you suggest they can source candidates? One of the top with most organizations that I've uh, either worked for or have had the um, pleasure of working with in my in my consulting business, one of the top ways that companies get their talent is an employee referral program. And um, making sure that that there's some sort of reward monetary value that's, you know, right of, of value to the right. individual. Um, but what companies where they miss the the boat is on, on this whole employee referral program, they're not giving their employees the language, the elevator pitch to sell the company. Mm -hmm. So for example, if there's um, a superintendent position open and you have this employee referral program, I would venture to guess that a majority of, of the employees that are helping you look for this candidate are looking for people who have the same experience as they do, mm -hmm. um, who, um, you know, um, just are like all the others that are out there in the field with them. But if you, if HR and the senior leadership gives them the language that describes the essential skills of an individual, that you're looking for that would fit the culture of the organization, but also that position, then you're arming them with language and it's two or three sentences. I mean, you can't give them a, you know, a paragraph. They're not going to remember that, but two or three sentences that excites an individual when they're at a party or, you know, you know, what do you do for a living? Well, I, you know, I do X, Y, Z. Well, I work for ABC construction company and it's fantastic. Well, tell me more. And then you give them like two or three lines to 
you know, one, describe the culture, um, two, the type of people that work there. And, and you just, you, 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 you paint this picture that's easy for your employees to deliver. And, um, and then, you know, it's amazing. You get a lot of really great candidates. You know, I mean, and we're obviously gonna not going to be able to dive into this today because it is going to be our next topic, but making sure that your current employees are happy enough yeah. that they would recommend you to their friends and people they meet. It's incredibly important in the recruitment process too. Not retention and recruitment are hand in hand to each other. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I would say employee referral program is a big one, giving them the language to help you recruit, have some sort of monetary incentive. Um, you know, you pay after, say, 90 days after right. a successful 90-day review. Um, you know, certainly post on the LinkedIn's, the glass doors, mm-hmm. those kinds of things. But if you're going to do that, really, that's just putting it out there for the 30 or 40 percent that are actively looking you really need to dive deep and and get to those passive candidates so if you your organization is fortunate enough to have a recruiter on staff they should have a you know a linkedin seat where you can actually reach out to passive candidates that do like kind positions in you know at you know in companies uh within the dmv area or the area that you're doing business Um, so you really want to get to the passive candidates. And, um, if you don't have a, you know, a a recruiter in house, you can always, I, I always recommend you should have two or three outside recruiters that you really trust and then bring you value and bring you good candidates. And those are the people that can help you search for that. Interesting. So you mentioned social media and this may be off topic or not, but I've noticed before that sometimes when um, like a manager has been at a company for 20 years, they maybe don't have a LinkedIn presence um, because they feel like they're not looking. But I know when I've looked for positions, one of the first things I do is look on LinkedIn and see who works there. Do we have any connections, whatever. So I, I feel like maybe that's another way to be like passively recruiting that some managers aren't thinking of like they, they're not on LinkedIn they're not a thought leader in anything obviously social media is not everyone's thing but to like see it needs to be more than just your marketing department and your HR department posting on LinkedIn um, as a way to I don't know potentially recruit those people um, and and those passive people that aren't looking yet, but maybe they see what you are saying, who you're connected to, who you're. Uh, what are your What are your thoughts? Do you think? Do you- yeah, I I always say that the the higher you move up in an organization from mid level manager on up, you you you're a representation. Right. You're a representative of the company, and it's your responsibility to do those kinds of things. Yeah. Like, you know, seek you know, particularly um, upper management for projects, your business developing, Mm -hmm. you're, you're trying to seek candidates to, you know, people to come work for you and you're, you're selling the company. So I, I strongly feel that that is part of your job. And a lot of companies don't do this, but I think there should be some sort of, um, 
metrics or something in your performance management evaluation that has these things in it because it's important for growth. Absolutely. Yeah, you're right. I, a lot of times um, managers, especially in, in our industry, are judged on how they're managing the projects, but not the people, um, not the recruitment. They're missing the boat because people leave managers. They don't leave the company. Absolutely. And now we're going to we're going to talk a lot more about that next next time. Um, so I guess. With that, um, are there any other are there any like other things that we maybe haven't touched on when it comes to recruiting that we should be maybe the um, any I don't know any of the maybe about the interview process anything else that we should be touching on? I would say two things. So for the interview process, you really should train the interviewers. Uh, what what to say, what not to say, understand the behavioral questions and the why behind that um, is really important. And um, I, I would recommend that when you're interviewing, you can have a C-suite executive as part of it mm-hmm. or project manager. But I also think it's important to have somebody in that seat if you do, if it's a duplicate position. So for example, if you're hiring for a project manager, you should have a project manager that can talk the talk, you know, the day-to-day, what, what's it like to, to be a project manager at this organization? And then um, the, the three of you, two or three of you, just put your heads together afterwards and really decide, is this the right fit? And then the, the another thing that I think is important are the data analytics. I'm, I'm all about data. So having a human capital management system that can that has an applicant tracking system, if you are a 50 person company, you should have a, a human capital management system and one person doing HR, at least. Yep. If you're a hundred person company, you should have that human capital management system and at least two people in HR because it's your the success of your organization not only is the project piece of it, but it's the recruiting and retention. And if you don't have people, they're your most valuable asset, mm-hmm. then it's 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 gonna sink you. So it can sink, you know, can raise you up or it can sink you if you're not keeping your eye on the ball. And it it takes a lot of time to to recruit and to retain. And so you need dedicated staff for that. But when getting back to the data analytics, um, it's really important for the executive level, level, the leadership to understand, you know, the positions that you're posting, how long are they on the market? Um, what's the data of how many people you've hired, your retention? It's amazing. I go into companies and just do an assessment. Do you know what your retention is? No. So, you know, at the top of my list is let's look at the last three years. Let's look, let's track the last three years. Oh, you dropped 15%. Let, now let's dig into more data and understand why. Yeah. And so then that gets to the things like the fun things that I like, like, like management and benefits and your performance management process and learning and development. You have career paths. So the data is devil's in the detail. So if you can get get somebody that's going to, you know, 
take the reins on that and really keep track of that. Not a manual process. You, you should right. have a system that be, can do that for you. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I mean, the industry is automating more and more with everything. And there's a dashboard for all the things. I right? love so, dashboards. Yes. Love so it. Yeah. It just makes sense to be your most important asset are your people. And if you're not managing them and you're not looking at the data on them, uh, that, that just, <laughs> and, and I think it's most are not, right? We've, we, we've talked about that. Most construction industries are small business or construction companies are small businesses. Um, and they're, you know, barely um, managing the project data, let alone, um, I'm not saying barely managed, but you know what I mean? Like they're managing the project data because that where they, where the money's coming and going and whatnot. Um, and I, it's probably one thing that is not taught and should be taught uh, in these four-year universities. Um, yeah, you're, you're managing a, a project that's great, but how are you going to manage the people side of that? Um, and it, it's imperative and I'm, I'm so glad that we have a resource like you to, to help help the, these companies uh, to get through that. So with that, um, I guess we will wrap up a little bit for uh, wrap up for today. Um, thank you all for listening to the Build Your Path podcast with your hosts, Kathy Holm and Jen Sproul. And we hope you enjoyed our second episode um, while we're, we're tackling the construction industry's biggest issues. So now you've hired your people using Kathy's tips, uh, but join us for next episode as we'll talk about how to manage those people and create a culture of mutual respect. If any of our listeners have a topic or question they'd like us to cover, please share them in the comments. And um, please check out all the links and resources in the show notes and follow us on social media. That's all for this episode, folks. See you next time.